Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. It's bigger every week. We're heading to March Madness. North American excitement for basketball. Baseball bogged down a bit, but it'll start. Masters golf, other major events, Grand Prix. And exciting to continue to establish momentum as we move forward into the spring. Deal-making issues 3-1. to one. Three. Aaron Rodgers' drama once again seems to be in the news as the NFL offseason kicks off. Instagram posts early this week that many viewed as a retirement post. Rodgers cleared the air saying he was not making any big announcement anytime soon. Additionally, recent reports have indicated he wants about $50 million per year and former teammate Greg Jennings seized on the report to slam Rodgers as selfish, regardless of whether the reporting is accurate. If he wants $50 million per year, he certainly deserves it, and he has the receipts to back it up. But if the Packers want to pay him $50 million a year, also they can. And the question is whether that even matters at this point. If he decides he wants out, the promise of $100 million to stay for two more years won't matter. Some are still speculating a change of scenery for Rodgers, but only time will tell. Two. Number two. Quarter four adds A1 Sports betting predictions to Canada's parlay Media Group, a prediction tool for sports bettors, signed a one-year deal with a Canadian startup to launch a betting-focused weekly newsletter last year. Pariah TV streaming network now include on-screen A1 backing bet insights from Quarter 4. Quarter 4's engine analyzes historical player performance data and real-time game scenarios to predict statistical outcomes for individual players as well as win-loss probability for teams. The company raised a million six last year in seed money based by, uh, led by Toronto-based Shore Capital, Sports, and Entertainment. One. Sepp Straka wins this year's Honda Classic, finishes in a monsoon. He holds off a late surge from Shane Lowry. The bottom line is the winner earns a $1.44 million price tag uh, off of an $8 million purse and a record week of pick ticket sales up 30% through late last week. Record crowd for the year. The event finishes in the monsoon, unfortunately for tournament operators who we know well, but it was a rousing success nonetheless. And leading into all aspects of the golf industry, revenue up, teaching up, equipment up, viewership up, people interested in the game up, a truly recreational getaway during COVID, and now it's expanded more than ever before. Warren Botke, a, a superstar professional golf instructor, has been involved in the industry for well over 40 years, nearly a half century. He's been the instructor that Brooks Kepka has talked about relative to his career and many others. Warren, a great friend, but most important, he talks about the business of golf getting kids to play, the business of teaching, what it means to be a golf professional, 
all incredibly timely as the golf season continues in its Florida swing. Warren Botke. Give us a little bit of a snapshot on how you got into this business. Well, you know, I thought when I came out of high school, I wanted to go to college. And, you know, 48 years ago, it's a little different. You don't have so many uh, colleges that had college teams. And so the elite really made it. And so I tried to play the Monday qualifiers. That was a Monday rabbit back then, and I knew that these guys are really good. So I got involved in the coaching end of it, became a PGA member, worked at a club, and found myself more and more times gravitating to the practice range and looking at swings and got intrigued, and the rest was history. The rest is history. You're too humble. But, I mean, you have perfected the art of knowing exactly what, elements could work or couldn't work what's your kind of core philosophy uh as you see somebody for the first time how do you size them up what's your thought well i think we got to get a chemistry we try to get a mindset together where we they feel comfortable uh usually anyone that will come to you is a little intimidated their swing is very dear and near to them and they don't want to expose it because they're a little embarrassed it might not look as orthodox or unorthodox so you want to make sure that they feel comfortable and I think my biggest asset is communication I know how to communicate and I use a lot of acronyms rhymes try to make it fun and yet we're penetrating the golf swing a little bit and getting results the normal there is no such thing but a mid-handicap golfer versus a Brooks Kepka, who you're known for uh, I know the technical and the athletic ability may be different, but there are some commonalities between all that. What, what are they? Well, what Brooks still talks about today is PGA. That's what I taught him, the three fundamentals, posture, grip, and alignment. He said he still uses them every day in his, in his setup, and that's important because your body will take a path of less resistance if you're set up fundamentally. So whether you're a 19 handicap or a scratch golfer or a tour player, always work on their posture, their setup, how they hold the club, and, and that all automatically gets them in a good mindset where they feel comfortable, and then your body doesn't have to compensate for something. So you feel comfortable, therefore, giving a half hour, an hour lesson to somebody that's just beginning the game or Brooks Kepka, uh, one right after another, right? Yeah, that's kind of the art of that because in, in an eight-hour day, I'll have eight different clients, and it could be a, an eight-year-old kid that's an elite junior to a tour player to a Mrs. McGoogle who's a housewife with three kids at home and is a beginner, and it's just neat to be able to shift gears and be able to get in their world and communicate and get results. I know your personality very well. How do you deal with people like me who think they know everything? <laughs> well, it, you know, humor always helps, right? But it's it's humbling to see people that struggle, and it's and it's like, hey, I just want to try to move the needle any which way I can so that they can see some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. So the business, is the business of a teaching pro generally the same today as it was when you broke in? Well, no. You know, it's kind of ironic. There's more technology. We have faster cameras. We have computers. We have flight launch monitors, things like that. But yet, you know what, Rick? The handicap hasn't dropped, and nor has the normal score or the average score, I should say. So what happens is you still got to get the job done, and we figure, figured out with all this technology it would be easier and that we could tackle this game. But, you know, there's a thing called six inches between the ears, and that's your mind. And if your mindset's not right and you don't have confidence i don't care how your swing looks you'll you're never going to get it done the technology is better i assume the athletes that come to you are in better shape as well 
Oh, yeah. If you look at the PGA Tour from 25 years ago, you saw a lot of guys that were stopping at Waffle House for breakfast or Dunkin' Donuts having coffee and jelly donuts. And now these guys are eating power bars and drinking protein shakes and they have a six pack in front of their belly and their abs look great. And yet they're not playing any better than the other guys did 25 years ago. Why do you think that is? Is it because the courses are more difficult, or is it just it's a game that nobody's ever going to (laughs) tame? Well, I think part of that is right, but, you know, the ball has definitely helped. The equipment and the technology on the equipment end of it has helped. They're hitting the ball farther. So they're seeing that it can be done with the equipment, not so much with the body. Club head speed has increased. Ball speed has increased. And some of the golf courses now had to get longer because – the average golf course was 6,500, 6,800 on tour 25 years ago. Now it's 77 or 78. Are we going to run out of land? We hope not. I think the USGA has kind of been there to kind of hold the rifle on that because, they're, you know, they're not letting crazy balls go, go too far. They're not letting certain equipment. They have guidelines and a bandwidth of what can happen because you can't build an, a 9,000-yard golf course. It's just not going to happen. And the other golf courses will become so obsolete, like a Marion that has the history and it's only, you know, 6,300 yards, but it's a U.S. Open golf course. And so we can think of other examples about that, too. Uh, what is your sense, and, you know, you talked to Jack Nicholas, and he's undergone a metamorphosis from the, uh, from the golden bear to the teddy bear. So, you know, if you offered years ago the idea of a 15-inch cup for people to have fun, he'd laugh you out of the place, get out of my house. Now he and everybody else play it forward, the larger holes, everything to make the golf game more fun and the purists are rebelling a little bit. What's your stance on all of that? Well, I think you got to go with the, you know, whatever the tradition is. I mean, sometimes we're, we're traditionalists and we don't want to bend, but sometimes you got to go with the environment. They had foot golf where you, you would kick a soccer ball around, and that was a fad for a little while. Now they're building golf courses, six-hole golf courses, 12-hole golf courses. The millennials that kind of took the march for golf, they don't have time. They have a double-income family. They have two kids or three kids. They're busy. They're doing doing soccer they're doing baseball they're doing hockey and and they don't have time to spend four and a half hours on a golf course what do you think of the uh, national golf foundation we know the people we're good friends with them mm-hmm. but them including um a top golf drive shack all of that stuff the entertainment stuff in golf numbers do you feel that's appropriate yeah, I think so because it's really just trying to get a buzz and trying to get some people. I think when you go to Top Golf, if you were to sit there and do the numbers and you think of all the ladies that were in stilettos and, you know, people, secretaries that were having just fun drinking and hitting a ball, you're going to get a trickle-down effect of a few people coming out of there saying, you know, I really like this. This was fun. So it is kind of a little bit of a catch basin to pick, pick up new golfers. And it's something that more investors uh, at the top capital level are doing all over the country, uh, Bartoli and others with the miniature golf, which is now becoming a big deal as well. Yeah, I think miniature golf was always around, but now they're getting these miniature golf courses on steroids where they right. used to have just a clown's mouth or the windmill. Now they got all sorts of loops and dupes and things and stuff, and it's attractive, and, and it's, an, it's a family outing too where you can go a family of four and go out and play miniature golf.
I always thought that they're one step ahead of me because on the 18th hole, where you hit it in a hole, and then it goes down, it goes back to the clubhouse. I always tried to figure out how to catch it and go back to the first tee, but that never worked, did it? <laughs> no, I think they're, they outsmarted you. They know if there's no ball, there's no more golf. There's n- no more free greens fee. So, you know, that's, that, they were very innovative on that. I thought that was a pretty good idea. That's why they call Warren Botke the teacher of the stars because he thinks of everything, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so he, it's... It's almost inappropriate, but when a lot of people think of you, they think of, of Brooks Kepka and, and what you've done with him and the publicity that he generates uh, basically for you and in honor of you. Um, it's, it's, you're so much more than that, but what's it like working with him? Uh, you know, Brooks was just a shy kid when I picked him up at 10 years old. Bob, his dad, was a very good friend of mine, and uh, he was about a 10 or a 12 handicap, Bob was, and I got him down to a 3. And so I knew fundamentally when I was teaching Bob, it would then trickle down to Brooks. And at age 10, he gave it to me and said, hey, look, he's all yours. And what was nice, he, as a parent, stepped out and stepped away from the project which was good and uh, like I said Brooks was kind of shy and but he was very innovative in his work ethic he was very hungry to do well and it was about when he was maybe 14 15 when I realized the kid had a little something special he went out he played in an AJ event AJGA event mm-hmm. in Dothan Alabama shot 69 72 and won that tournament when he was 15 and that was the first time I saw a little sparkle in his eye thinking man this kid might want to do this the following year he goes and plays in the Florida high school uh, golf championship the state championship and wins that and then from there the rest was history I mean he, he, he did it a little differently his journey went out on the on the cha- on the uh, challenge tour in Europe and won three times there when he got his card in Europe he won the Turkey Open and then over here he goes and goes to the waste management in 2015 wins that and then four majors later here he is so it's been great he's been a, a, a great person uh, I'm, I'm grateful for being a, having a chance to work with him and give him the fundamentals and he's so kind to say nice things about me he didn't need to and it just shows what kind of person he is well he didn't need to but they were deserved so when you work with uh, a, a anybody uh, and you talk about the six inches between the ears uh, do you tackle some of that yourself? Do you bring in a rotella? How do you deal with all that? Well, I, I know enough of the stuff not to get dangerous where people jump off the bridge, you know, but I, I kind of show them and, and explain to them and everything that we're going to do is a process and everybody's worried about the outcome. And I said, you got to trust the process. And if we trust the process, it's kind of like lily pads. You'll get to the end result. I never heard golf to explain in, in a frog lily pad uh, relationship, but that's why Warren Botke is so special. How quickly can you notice when you see a kid for the first time, this kid's got it or this kid doesn't? Usually you don't see it too often, and the, and the fear I have with a lot of these kids that come out at six, seven, eight years old is the burnout. You know, are they going to, I like them to play other sports until about 12 or 13, then get into a single sport mindset because you're, you're developing your motor skills and your motor program and what your eye and hand coordination and everything like that is really something you want to do. So I'm not a big stickler saying it, eat, sleep, drink golf because I've seen a lot of people by this, you know, age 16, 17 and 18, they're just burned out. They're tired. They don't want to do it anymore. Uh, this is a hard question. Exclude Brooks because you're kind of self-interested. Also, he may be the right answer. But five years from now, who is the one guy we look back on and say, man, he dominated the last five years? 
Wow, that's, I mean, you have a real corral of guys out yeah. there right now with JT and Jordan Spieth and Colin and Dustin and Brooks and Rory. And, you know, I mean, you know, back when Jack played, it was just a big three. Yeah. You know, you had Nicholas and you had Palmer and then maybe Watson, you know, stuff like that. But now you have a core group of about 20 kids between 24 and 30 that could win any week. Warren's virtue is he can teach golfers of any level. Exciting, interesting, enthusiastic. Even swings like mine. Sports Gaming Minutes. New York now leads the nation in mobile sports betting. And since the state opened online betting in early January, it becomes the biggest bookmaking market, surpassing Nevada and Jersey. The debut, $2.4 billion in wagers in five weeks quarter of the men's mobile sports wagers on the Super Bowl came from New York. That demand likely boiling over the long wait for New York gamblers who watched, as we know, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, all legalized place bets on their mobile phone or laptop in recent years. And since the state's first four betting sites launched January 8th, with the NFL players uh, playoffs starting a week later, more than 2 million unique player accounts had been used in the state according to GeoComply, a Canadian geolocation security firm. New York is the most populous of the 20 states that allow residents to gamble on their phones. Two potentially larger players, Texas, California, awaiting legalization. And what about Florida? It's moving in the upward direction and will continue to do so. How about the Sports Tech Minute? Tagboard raises $8 million to further interactive sports broadcasts. Software used by sports broadcasters to integrate interactive games and polls on air raised $8 million in Series A funding. Greyhawk Capital and Next Frontier Capital co-led the round alongside investments from Sinclair and the Minnesota Viking owners Wise Ventures. More than 600 sports and media broadcasts brands use Tagboard including MLB Network, NFL Network, NBC Sports, Turner Sports, Fox Sports, Riot Games. Last year, the UFC partnered with Tagboard to use its live social media browsing feature to show TikTok videos on screen during UFC broadcasts. Earlier this month, NBC Sports used Tagboard software to add social media content to other interactive features into live coverage of Super Bowl 56, and the Beijing Olympics. The Vikings are one of 21 teams to use Tagboard, which also helps produce content for in-stadium video boards. Be seeing more and more of it, and that is your Sports Tech Minute. And finally, as we normally do, Pandemic and Beyond, the Good Sports 5. And When you think about some of the things that are happening this week, they transcend all kinds of sports. Bobby Green earning a title shot uh, in all kinds of boxing and not only boxing, but the UFC and and other important organizations. Uh, he came out and uh, Islav Makachev uh, put on a clinic as well. All of this really important in the continuing UFC and other major boxing and other kinds of fighting all over the world. The Zion Chronicles continue in New Orleans. Many people seeing Anthony Davis deja vu as far as Zion Williams is concerned. 
Williamson was given a float with a jersey number one ton, had him saying, I'm hungry, and poke fun at his contract by giving him a heap of money without playing. Well, he's got to play pretty soon. Everybody in New Orleans is thinking about it. Obviously, Mardi Gras, charitable time for all. Brian Flores said he was offered hush money to sign an NDA. Everybody in the NFL is hoping that the lawsuit is involving uh, a small number of people and that it continues to wind through the courts but end soon. The NFL obviously is spending a good deal of time thinking about this in all significant ways. Guy Fieri set to open a restaurant with a sports book inside Chase Field. Uh, CEO and President Derek Hall says there's a chance to get in on the ground level of a unique, fresh, and fun concept of food, gaming, and baseball. Guy Fieri visited over 30 Arizona restaurants on his television series, Diners, Drive-In, and Dives on the Food Network. Finally, we've talked about Aaron Rodgers, but we've also not talked about his philanthropic contributions in the Green Bay area. And one of the sidelights of uncertainty is what it happens, what happens to charity uh, all over uh, his world, Northern California, where he grew up and played, and obviously the Green Bay Packers, Wisconsin, all together. And that's your Good Sports 5. Well, we'd like to thank all of you for listening and watching. We'd like to thank uh, Warren Botke for giving us some perspective about golf, its instruction, and its future. I'd like to thank Nick Nielsen and others for helping us put the podcast together. And tune in next week when we talk about another aspect of the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor, Ricardo. Speak with you soon.